this is episode number 39 of Under 10, a mini podcast on intimacy with Dr. Jessica Tartaro. That's me. Last episode, I explored the practice of looking for each other's humanity at a time when it's so easy to dehumanize and cut off from our neighbors and friends. Many of you wrote and told me how much that show meant to you, and I'm so glad. If you haven't already listened to episode 38, go back and please share once you listen. This week, I'm going to build on the last episode with the topic of shame, an experience that is intimately tied to our tendency to dehumanize. This is a painful topic, and also one that can truly be made less painful with very specific commitments and steps that I'll include at the end of this show. Do note, I use a choice expletive several times in this episode. Okay, let's dive in. Very likely, when you think of shame, you might think of Dr. Brene Brown, researcher, author, and speaker who specifically studies shame and vulnerability and also happens to be a fabulous fellow Texan. Brene defines shame as an intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are unworthy of love and belonging. It's an emotion that affects all of us and profoundly shapes the way we interact with the world. So let's break that definition down. Shame is intensely painful. Check. Shame is based in beliefs. Good to note. And shame convinces us that we don't get to be loved and there's no way we belong. Oof, that is the oh-so-painful part. I don't know anyone, including myself, who doesn't struggle at some level with shame and the voices that try to convince us inside that we are unworthy of love. As you listen, you might get curious about your own relationship to this painful experience. Shame is unfortunately built into some of the most fundamental belief systems at the foundation of our society, the roots of which go way back before our individual biographies even began. But shame can fool us into thinking that whatever we have done, or whatever was done to us, to make us unlovable, is also unique to us, and therefore there's no way we could ever have that thing in common with others. Shame ensures that we stay separate and alone in our unlovability. All of that, of course, is bullshit. That narrative is just plain wrong. When I'm in my most lucid self, I know to my bones that no one is unlovable. Period. Including me and including you. It's when the voices inside get louder that I can forget. I often imagine that shame acts like this immense psychic and spiritual sludge clogging up our capacity to receive love, to feel our instincts, and to know we belong. In that way, shame actually makes us kind of dumb, unable to see what's true even when it's under our noses. Shame cuts us off from every form of our natural intelligence because it's such a powerful, arresting force to our growth. Shame is highly disempowering. It's an effective way to keep any people controlled and living in fear. And it can be banished. So here's where we begin to have choice about the experience. 
If the roots of shame are planted in all of us, how do we keep from watering those weeds? Brene Brown teaches that shame needs three things to grow. Secrecy, silence, and judgment. Secrecy, silence, and judgment. Shame thrives in these conditions. To stay in power, shame convinces us that we can't and shouldn't speak. And the more quiet we get with our shameful secrets, the more the tangle of weeds fills our brain with lies. Lies like, if they really knew, they would never love you. You'll never really belong. And you deserve the punishment. Again here, let's call bullshit when bullshit needs to be called. This is easy to do by light of day, of course. It's often late at night or when we are alone that it's so much harder to push back the weeds of those beliefs from crowding out our inner landscape. I recently saw a friend who was several weeks behind on finishing a task she had committed to me to complete. I wasn't mad. I felt deep empathy for all that is on her plate. I also knew that she was feeling ashamed for not following through. We made eye contact across the bustling outdoor circle gathering when I first arrived, and I sensed her pain. She came over to greet me, and I immediately said firmly, Do not let this get in our way. I knew what was happening for her. She wanted to profusely apologize, berate herself, and pile on the punishment for whatever she thought she should have done but didn't. As her friend, I had a choice there. I could have felt entitled and let her hurt herself in connection to the unfinished task. I could have also let her off the hook and told her not to worry about it. I did neither. I told her emphatically, don't believe the voices and do finish the task. We laughed, the space between us softened, and I felt zero attachment to what might come. The next day, I got a text. She wrote, I didn't listen to my own excuses today and got your item finished. It is safely in your mailbox. I told her that the value of the gift was now twofold, one for the inherent worth of the item, and two, because it represented her victory over her excuses and what I would say was likely her shame. Shame always loses when we bring our voice back and say, this is who I am, and this is what I've done, and I refuse to abandon myself no matter what others might think or say. Shame also loses when someone else looks at us and says, you are lovable. I've been there too, and this does not change who you are to me. In this way, how we relate to one another socially can play a very formative role in how much power shame has to control our behavior. This is where the practice of humanizing one another from last week's episode circles back around. Recognizing we have the power to either feed one another's shame or neutralize it, like I did with my friend, we might ask, do we want to feed the gossip and judgment about one another? Or do we want to confront each other face to face and heart to heart and say, I'm willing to champion your humanity, not all the things that I might try to equate with your worth through which to judge you as unworthy of love. 
Excuse me, but again, that's just bullshit to think any one person's merit or worth is reducible to one event or moment in time. None of us is perfect. We must remember that when we might cast a seething judgment and instead choose to be gentle. We have no idea the hardships and sorrows that made the people we see around us. Everyone needs forgiveness, and everyone has the chance to help others forgive themselves. For this week's homework, I dare you to call bullshit on your shame voices. You'll need to begin by first identifying them, which will be hard, so stay steady. You can do this with a journal or a willing partner. Begin by writing out all the lies your shame tells you. They might sound like you'll never be fully loved or you aren't really a good mom or professional or fill in the blank. Remember, shame blocks our ability to receive love and feel belonging. So it's any voice that would be an obstacle to that. You'll know you've really nailed the voice because you will likely feel a physical flinch as each phrase comes out. When you are done writing these, then write in big, bold letters in your journal, and that's all bullshit. Then read the lies out loud to yourself, your voice memo on your phone, or your practice buddy, and be sure to cackle and howl and fully embody that final line when you get there. If you are working with a partner, once you are done, have them express gratitude for you and remind you of their care and your awesome lovability. If you are working with a journal, write a love letter to yourself and then read it regularly in the days and weeks that follow. The seeds of shame are embedded in all our bodies, but we have choice about whether or not to give over control of our lives to this insidious force. I encourage you to stay steady as you boldly assert and reclaim your lovability and help others around you do the same. This is Dr. Jessica Tartaro with Under 10, a mini podcast on intimacy. Oh, 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 oh.